When you're infected with the Peloton, there's only one cure. Welcome to the Pelotonitis Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Pelotonitis Podcast. After a little break, my name is Anna. And I'm Jeff. And we're back after a break. <laughs> the the post welta wrap up vacation. Exactly. Anna gave me a vacation. I did. I figured you've been doing good work. You deserved a break. <laughs> <laughs> My summer break. That's right. Oy, yes. Oh, but and, it's fall now, huh? Uh, yeah. Well, See, it was summer here, when we stopped. Yeah, the weather here just turned to fall. Yep. Just today. barely this week. Yep. Today, oh, fart. Today's a very lovely fall day. Mm-hmm. And that, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I like fall and I like the cold, but it is a little bittersweet to leave the warm weather behind. Oh, you should just live out here and you get plenty of it. <laughs> I think you everybody is just ready for to be over, you know, just for enough of the weather. 100 degrees. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I can see that. I don't know. I mean, it, this summer wasn't particularly warm here. So, I mean, it wasn't, it was warm, just not like super duper hot. So, but. Yeah, we had, we had plenty of heat and it just held on, held on, <laughs> and held and on. And everybody's talking about cross and riding in the rain and cold weather. It's like, wait, it's still 100 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't gotten reached that point yet. Yeah, we, we hit 85 and it's like, oh, it's, it's like winter now. <laughs> Yes, today I went to a crossway, and it was, it was perfect cross weather. Beautifully um, warm. I'm sorry, cool. Breezy, <laughs> a little chilly, needed a jacket, but not so cold you couldn't enjoy yourself. It was wonderful. Sunny, so perfect. Anyway, that's for a different podcast where we just talk about the weather. <laughs> <laughs> that's for the weather podcast. Uh, right. So, I mean, honestly, um, I feel like before we talk about anything, we have to talk about the fact that Andy Schleck has officially retired from cycling. To anyone's surprise, is anyone surprised? Can I can I say the obvious? Go ahead. He, he pulled the ultimate Schleck shoot. <laughs> Sorry. That's so to. bad. Uh, that's bad, I know. <laughs> I mean, did you watch any of the video of his press conference? I did. Oh I my did. god, it was like heartbreaking. Uh, most of his press conferences are that way. I mean, after <laughs> after all the injuries and stuff like that, you know, he he's always been an emotional guy. So that's very true. Yeah, it was. It's it's sad to watch. She fought through it. You know. I don't know. Yeah, I. It's a bit of. The thing that struck me watching the press conference Mm -hmm. was, you know, there's the sadness of saying I'm retiring, but there's the fact that he's only 29 and he, it was the frustration of not understanding why he can't get back to where he was. Frustration on whose part? Ours or his? No, on Andy's. Yeah. It's like, I can't figure out what's wrong with me. And so what struck me was that sounded a lot like when greg lamont retired yeah 
you know, back then he was saying it was some mitochondrial problem that was not letting his muscles produce the energy that he had since hmm. the shotgun thing. He was trying to link those two together and figure out what was going on. Hmm. But there's this frustration. It's like, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I'm not who I used to be. Right. And he was fighting through that. And I saw Andy kind of in a real similar place, just going, look, I want to continue, but I don't know what's wrong with me. And it's really, yeah, it's got to be so frustrating. It seemed different for him because he had such a, there were so many expectations on him, you know? Right. Like, it's harder to just, I don't know, be mediocre. I mean, I mean, the fact of the matter was, is like, he wasn't, he was barely even finishing races. Like, how was he going to get a contract if he can't even finish a race, you know? Yeah. And that, and, and that gets set up a lot amongst the fans, but I think... I think we put too much expectation on finishing races. It's like if you're coming back from an injury and you just want to test out how things are going, that might not be your ultimate goal. It's like just do what you need to do at that race and you know, that's up to him and the and the DS to figure out you know how impactful not finishing is. I think us as fans see that and just draw all these big conclusions. Or I see Twitter doing that. You know. <laughs> I think we jump a little bit far on some of those, but, but yeah, I mean the, the recovery from the hip took a long time and the knee injury just never, you know, came back a hundred percent. I see it as being twofold. The fact that he was somebody who had so much potential, um, and for whatever reason, so expectations are a lot higher for him and maybe when he doesn't reach those expectations it's a little harder to take plus he gets these injuries and eyes are really on him to recover quickly so he can get back up to the you know the top tier and like fulfill those expectations and then when so maybe he's pushing himself a little bit more than he should so I don't know I mean on one hand, it's silly to say, oh, you're 29 and you're retiring, you know, but at the same time, it's like, I don't know what else either. What are his, what's his other option, you know, to keep right, going, right. but still sort of in this recovery mode that he's been out for years now. Yeah. Tiny climber doesn't make a great super domestique, you know? No. <laughs> yeah. Right. He's not exactly one to, you know, have. He doesn't, his skill set is not large. We'll just say that. <laughs> well, in terms of yeah, yeah. The, his ability is not, you know, he's got a very limited skill set. I mean, let's, I think so. I don't know. But I don't know. I mean, it could have. Huh. So what do you, how, what do you, what's your sort of impression? Like maybe what is, you know, legacy will be, will be. Um, wow. <laughs> In terms, or maybe like, that's so big. Like how will be remembered, you know? I think, I think a kid with tons of potential that never could, you know, put the mental side of it together. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, winning the white jersey, did he do that multiple times? I think so. Yes, Just, I think so. Yeah, so I don't know. And then and then you do that, and, and then all the ex- expectations, and you become a team leader. And I don't know if it's the pressure or figuring out the race tactics or I don't know. You know what? I think you're right. I think it's a mental. It was sort of a mental issue with him. Like, he could do the winning, but if it didn't come naturally to him, I I sometimes got the impression he wasn't really sure what to do. Yeah. If he couldn't just win off of sheer strength (laughs) or sheer talent. Or read the race like some riders can. Right. And, I mean, maybe if he hadn't gotten injured, he might have been able to do that more. I mean, do you think his brother was a handicap, having his brother there all the time? To him, possibly. I don't think to Frank, Andy was a handicap. I, but yeah, I think I to Andy, Frank might have been a handicap. Yeah. I agree. Frank always seemed a bit more independent. But you know what was always well, it's, so... It's, it's that confidence level, you know? And I don't think yeah. Andy ever showed that hugely. No, he didn't. It was so... I mean, he was so easy to like, though, because he was so passionate. And, like, he wore his emotions on his sleeve... You know, and he had lots of, you know, he always, like you said, he's very emotional. And so it made, you know, I think it's easy to be sympathetic for him. And what really actually made me happy was that everybody, that nobody really did say, oh, he's holding the ultimate schleck shoot. You know, it made me happy that the most of the reactions I saw were like, wow, I'm really sad that this is how it's ending for him. Right, right. And that, to me, says a lot about who he is, you know. Like, I think there was a lot of exasperation, like, why can't you just be good again? You know, but (laughs) maybe in the end they kind of realized maybe it's better to just do this instead of limping along in a career where you just never, why not just pull the trigger and be like, you know what? Instead of sort of pouring all my time and energy into this endeavor that I'm not entirely sure is going to pan out, let's just cut the cord and, you know, focus, refocus my life. Right. I think he gave this year a serious effort and just he did. didn't want to do another year like that. You know, he did, that yeah. Kind of result, so. Yeah. I mean, he definitely put, I felt, I definitely felt like he put in more effort. I mean, not, the results really weren't there just, you know, to back that up. But I would agree that this year seemed a little less dismal than the year before, but maybe that was. Oh, he really was, he was featuring in some of the, you know, major climbs and, yep. and being in the race. But at the end, he wasn't there. So nope. And so maybe yeah, this got to be was frustrating. Te- maybe this year was a test year for him. He's like, I'm going to see how this works out. <laughs> well, yeah. And then make a decision from there. So it's always got to be in the back of their minds. I mean, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Only as good out? as your last race, right? Oh gosh, isn't it just that? So not true. <laughs> yeah. Well. All right. Well. Goodbye, Andy. I'll miss you. <laughs> I don't. That's even disingenuous. I don't even know that I miss him because he wasn't really doing anything. But <laughs> I miss the idea of him. <laughs> I like the honesty there. Right. <laughs> I miss what he represents, which was he, my. I mean, for his era, there he did bring a ton of fans to the sport. I think he brought there, me. There was a huge, yeah, Andy following. Yep. Right. He was easy to like. And I think you're right. His sort of he's young, you know, boyish, good looks, sort of emotional, you know, pretty eloquent. 
ish. <laughs> Which article had the analogy of the little bird, the fragile bird? Yeah, that was, that, um, I think, uh, Reg Ruler. That was really well written. Yeah. I mean, just the way that summed up, it was perfect. Because, yeah, there's so many different personalities in cycling. And he kind of stood off as this different character. Yeah. You know, you know, this ruler article about it sort of point, you know, makes their like that sort of fragility and, you know, fallibility is what made him, you know, what attracted was attractive, you know, that made him really relatable to mm -hmm. a lot of people. So maybe we can relate. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, regardless, he'll be. I miss the idea of Andy, you know, even I if, still like Frank. Yes, and I still I think like Frank. Frank. Rocks. And now maybe <laughs> Frank can spread his wings and fly. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> All right. Moving on. What's up? <laughs> He's yeah, old news. <laughs> oh, don't say that. I know. I know you love him. I do. All right. So now that that big piece of news is out of the way, let's just go into the racing um, that we've missed since we've been gone. Basically, it's Worlds and um, Worlds and Lombardia. Those are kind right. of the two we're going to just focus on. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> unfortunately, I wasn't able to watch either of these races, but they sounded very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> ish. At least Worlds exciting-ish. Yeah, I had end. read about Worlds, but there was actually a recap of the men's road race on... Oh. I don't know. It was on my DVR yesterday. Nice. So we watched it. Yeah, it was fun because my wife didn't even know that it happened. What, <laughs> so Lombardia? No, the Worlds. Oh, the Worlds? Oh, gosh, So yeah. she was watching it like it was happening that day. So she's <laughs> screaming, for, oh, go Polish guy, go Polish guy. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there laughing. Going, yeah, okay. I think he wins this, honey. <laughs> You're like, let's put some money on him. <laughs> or you should have asked her to bet you. Do you want to let's, I'll bet you. <laughs> I should have. <laughs> you could have gotten an easy 20 bucks off of her. <laughs> but in a way, we, we backwardly uh, called that win, right? Did we? Remind me. We had me. joked about how did the Polish team have nine riders on their squad. Oh, right. Right? And we joked about, yeah, right. And then we said, now, just because of that, some Polish guy is going to win. <laughs> oh, my God. So it's totally thanks to us. That's I it. totally that's forgot it. Well, about Well, we that. both really picked Garen's, and he got second. So oh. that's still not a bad pick. I think we did good. You know, we, I think. We backhandedly picked a Polish guy. We did. We did. <laughs> <laughs> Go us. <laughs> um, so do you want to do a quick recap of the race? Oh, boy. I'm not ready for that. No? Okay. I, I couldn't. I didn't know if you had done that much research. <laughs> um, yeah. Brakes were up the road continuously, and they would form and reform. And it ended up with four guys, and I can't tell you who they were. Nah. But Me either. the main group of maybe 40 or 50 behind them, and Kwiatkowski jumped across at kind of a strange point. I don't know how he read that, but, um, yeah, it seemed like the break was failed 
they were just reeling them in. They had like 14 seconds over the group, and it looked like it was over, and there was about 9K to go, I think. Yeah. And all of a sudden, Kwiatkowski jumps out of the main group like he's going to bridge up to the group that's getting caught. And it's like, right. why Why would you do that? Because you're just going to get caught. And he sat in for a little while, too, and it's like they were getting really close to being caught, and then he just took off and held out for the win. I mean, yes. he benefited a lot from the group that was left that was able to chase him down was down to about six guys, I think. Yeah. And there was uh, two Belgians. So they had, oh, was it Boonen? Boonen was working the front for No, no, it was, uh, it was Gilbert. Oh, Gilbert. Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. So he was working the front, trying to catch Kwiatkowski, doing the work for Van Avermaet, who was mm-hmm. in the group. Um, and then the other guys were just sitting in. Was it Valverde? Yeah. And somebody else. Uh, who was there? Oh, I don't remember. Yeah, so, I mean, Valverde he, and Garens and a bunch yeah, of guys. Yeah, Kwiatkowski really benefited from those guys playing the card of letting Gilbert bring it back together. And it just, he didn't get close enough. Yeah, that seemed weird that they would just put it all on Gilbert's shoulders like that. Like, I don't know. That's That was the numbers game. You know, he's yeah. got Van yeah. Avermaet there, and if you help pull, then you're pulling Van Avermaet too, so. Right, I guess that's true. It's that same type of thing. They were more concerned about bringing, clearly more interested in bringing Van Avermaet or they were more concerned with bringing Van Avermaet to the finish line than they were with, you know, oh, maybe this, maybe Kiyokowski will stay away. Right. But there was a little bit of like, um, let's see. There was, I don't know, a little bit of talk, you know, Kiyokowski or um, the Polish team, they did this huge amount of pulling early in the race and they ended up four guys, you know, so they ended up getting half down half of their team mm-hmm. um, to sort of bring the chase back or to bring the breakaway back. Uh, and it seemed to me that there was a little bit of talk that, you know, oh, because those four guys kind of sacrificed themselves, Kwiatkowski was able to win. And I don't know. I just, to me, I would just, I don't know. Not that that didn't help, but at the same time, wouldn't some of the other teams have pulled eventually? Because, I mean, there's no way that, like, the Aussies or the Germans or whatever are going to let that break stay away. Right. It it seemed to me, I mean, I saw the Polish guys up there some, but it was shared between the Belgians. The Germans were kind of up there. They weren't really on the front front, but they were up there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I think it was more shared than that. Okay. But... I might have missed, you know, in the coverage, some of the Polish team up there. Yeah, I mean, but they, for... you know, if if that was their their tactic and their plan, shoot, it kept him fresh, and he just, I think he's a stud, anyways. I mean, oh yeah, that two years like ago very... he was winning everything, and that seems like a very Kwiatkowski move to make. You know, like a young guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, I feel really good. I'm just gonna go for it. And, and then... it's timing. Yeah. The timing was perfect. So I think it must have been that the bunch just underestimated 
Right. Like how much power it would take to bring him back. Because, and, and it seemed to me too that like the chasing group was, yeah, you're right. The chasing group was just very like, I don't know. I don't know. Like a little bit of looking back, what's going on, waiting for others to pull. So I think it seemed that the break was, you know, the chasing group basically was more concerned with them, with their group and who was in their group than they were with Kwiatkowski up the road. Yeah. 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 It was like they're, they're bringing the small group that's been out there forever back and then and then that's when you expect the attack you know when it comes together and he just jumped it up to the group which just seemed kind of insane at the time so right right that's what caught him off guard and then they just didn't figure out how to react to that i think to me it seemed like the writing before then you know it could have been since like oh look at this guy this young kid you know taking a flyer he's crazy um but then by the end of it I mean, by the time he caught up to the front group, okay, fine. But once he kind of went off on his own and just sort of dodged everybody else, then everyone was probably like, oh, shit. <laughs> what yeah, did we just yeah. let happen? Well, the, and they did, and they responded by, you know, the big guns came out, and then they were the only guys chasing. Yeah. You know, everybody else kind of dropped back 10 seconds back, and then the the big players were the only ones trying to bridge up. Right. So... Yeah, it was exciting. Yeah, it sounds just like it was um, six hours of boredom and <laughs> 20 minutes, half hour of pure excitement. Like once once Kwiatkowski kind of went up there, then it was sort of fair game. I don't know. It was, um, I thought it's it was. It's a long race, you know. Yeah. 14 circuits. Boy, that's long. Um. I have to say I'm very, very pleased, unlike with the how the uh, time trial. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really happy with how the road race, because I feel like Kwiatkowski is someone who a has a ton of potential. He had a great year. I mean, the first part, the first half of the season was amazing. He was a little less consistent, you know, as the season went on. But, you know, he was amazing. You can he was, you know a front runner for every race he would you know if he was in the race and he was considered you know a favorite for yeah, quite a while yeah. so i'm totally pleased you're okay with, with the uh, rainbow oh yeah here's someone you know it's kind of a reward of a consistent effort of the season whereas bradley <laughs> wiggins on the other hand <laughs> first first i have to say i really just have to eat my hat with the predictions that i came up with I was like, oh, yeah, it's not going to be no contest. Tony's going to win no contest. You know, Brad, maybe he'll podium. He's done it the last three years in a row. So, what? I mean, yeah, I think everybody was there. He's done it the last three years in a row. So it's hard not to, you know, look at it that way. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could say that Brad, I mean, he was fresh. You know, he hadn't been racing a ton. So. I think he's been focused on it. I mean, I, yeah, I. I think the way the team kind of treated him this year, he said, well, what they're going to give me, I'm going to really pay attention to and just show them what a mistake they're making. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of how I felt he was being motivated this year. Mm, I don't know. I, to me, if the motivation felt like it's like, I'm just going to pick a few races and then do really well with them and then just move on to something else. That's kind of how it felt to me. Well, when they say you're not going to the tour, that's 
Yeah. I don't know. Do you think he was all that upset about that, though? I, I think so. Oh, maybe. I guess maybe he really just wanted to go to, like, support, um, what's his face, Chris. Although, I mean, he could have had a chance. <laughs> considering that Chris. Right. Right. Dropped out. The way it played out. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I just, it really doesn't sit well with me. Because, I mean, how much is he been going to race next year, you know? <laughs> he's, like, totally focused on the Olympics. He's, he's made it clear he's moving back to the row um, to the track i mean to me it's more more important than wearing rainbow next year i think was just proving that tony martin is not infallible yeah you mean more i think in the back of general or for him i think for the back of wiggins mind yeah you know just to make that statement that i can beat that guy is huge yeah yeah i can see that i just don't i don't know it just is He's going to well go win me. Perry Roubaix next year. Huh? He's going to go win Perry Roubaix next year. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he's focused on it. Don't write All him right. off. All right. I won't write him off. Now that he's got the jersey, right? That's right. If? Well, now he'll be marked and well, yeah. he'll have the curse. He'll have the curse. Not that like. Oh, but no. He, that's the TT jersey. He won't have it. Oh, Perry yeah, Roubaix. Right. Oh, yeah, you're right. That's not they have a TT at <laughs> Perry Roubaix. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is that a new feature they're adding? <laughs> Perry Bay's changed, folks. <laughs> it's now an individual time Fabian trial. was pissed that he wasn't winning anymore, so he insisted <laughs> that they move it back to a time trial. That would be interesting. Oh, God. Man, imagine what would happen if they had the uproar if that happened. Oof. A, a 250K TT. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want people to dope and die? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we're the idea men. That's right. Just like Oleg. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, so I feel like something we do have to talk about a little bit since, I don't know, normally it wouldn't. Uh, it's always, anyway, <laughs> the women's race. It's sort of quite a bit of controversy. Um, I don't generally we don't generally talk about women's races not because i'm not interested in women's races it's just that i really a i don't know enough about it to speak to it with authority i mean not we're that bad enough at just following the men so right and <laughs> right because i'm too busy following the men <laughs> and on that note i barely have time to keep up with the men's race that's men's yeah, racing. that's what i mean so but there was a bit of even immediately after the race ended this idea that the women's race was boring and therefore the women had squandered their opportunity to impress everybody with how exciting women's races is, you know, being shown live on TV. So shame on you women. And now you don't deserve to have any live television ever because this race was so boring. And I mean, I'm not the first person to rant about this and I'm not the last but I just feel like it is my duty <laughs> to <laughs> register my displeasure with that line of thought. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Good. Agreed. Well, yeah. I mean, I my point would be, was it Adam Tan? Uh, a- Andy. The, Andy Tan mm-hmm. wrote this uh, the original article that stirred up that point of view. 
But I will. I will. I. And I would say he does not speak for all men. Please. Well, that's. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you listen to the Women's Cycling Podcast, I'm sorry, unofficial, unsanctioned Women's Cycling Podcast, Dan goes on a very lengthy rant about how he doesn't. <laughs> also does not represent them. Yeah, definitely. Him. Well, but I, I will say that even before Andy came out with that article, I was seeing that on Twitter from some other people that I follow. They were that same well, line of thought. You're going to see that and after it every was a, race. And it was a woman who was saying it. So, yes. right. This idea that, like, the women... And not even... They weren't even just saying, oh, the women's race is boring. It was... The women's race was boring... They therefore they squandered a chance. You know they needed to make this super exciting to convince everyone that it's a worthy investment. Blah blah blah. It's the world's right. It's. I mean, I, if okay, so back up to Tour de France with La Course, right? Yeah. That I think would fit better as being seen as an opportunity. Right, it's a big right. showcase. The men are finishing. The crowds there. The women are having this race also, the same day with the same crowd, and it was a huge event. And you know there was a lot of discussion when that was being planned. But I think if if we're going to call something an opportunity to be squandered or taken advantage of, that fits more than the worlds. The worlds is going to happen happens every year either way right yeah and and it generally gets more publicity than any other race that you know women do sure so maybe that's what they're pointing at but uh, come on to me every every fan cannot be excited by every single race oh my god be people that find the story within any race that's thrilling and there's people that are going to find what some people think was a great race to be uh it was okay that's yep. Yeah, that's exactly what I was. That's the whole time I was just like, wait a minute, we don't demand of the men that they, you know, make a race extra exciting because we the viewers deserve to see that whatever or whatever, that silly thing, um, is. I mean, I watch a lot of men's racing and it is fucking boring, <laughs> right? That's how it always is. Every stage of the tour. I don't. You don't have to tune in right with live video. You wait for the last hour of coverage and then you start watching, or you wait until like the climb start and then you start watching. You know, nine times out of ten, you're not going to miss a single thing. But sometimes there is that event that happens early in the race that shapes how the rest of it plays Ab- out. Yes, absolutely. There have there are there are times when early races they do make a you know something happens early on or the excitement is in the early bits, whatever. Like the women's worlds, there was a huge crash that shaped who was going to be there in the finale. So right, and a lot of people, a lot of teams were decimated. You know, it's. I think a, a lot of the criticism that I read really centered on this idea that the com like the commentators and people who are saying these negative things weren't looking at the big picture. Like all they're looking at, they're not looking at like what caused this. You know, they're not even trying to understand why the race was won. The, was was raced the way it was Mm -hmm. all they're looking at is just sort of the the finished product and being like well that was boring (laughs) like well well, let's think about why maybe it was kind of boring there was a huge crash that took out a large number of women then the rest of the then they had to race and that happened really early in the race 
So then you have the rest of the race where the women are kind of nervous and like, oh, I'm not sure. You know, it's rainy. The roads are wet. They're trying to regroup. Um, you know, maybe they're a little bit more anxious, so they're not riding as fast or they're not taking as many risks. Like, I don't know. I, I think know. those commentators must have had a lot of money on Marianne Voss. <laughs> <laughs> They're all betting and come on. It's just it's like, like we would have had money on Tony Martin. They were right. A exactly. Disappointed. Uh, right. Exactly. They're like, they did it wrong. But uh, yeah, that, that whole thing just stirs up so much in me that after some tour de France's people will say, well, that was boring. It's like right. 20, 21 days of racing and you call something boring just shows you're not paying attention or there's, you know, there's so many things going on every day that well, if you, if you find a 21 day race boring, then find another sport. It was funny me. because Dan kind of said that he's like, you know, they say that boring people find things boring. And if you aren't a boring person, then you're going to find something exciting to like about everything that you watch. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, good point. Um, I'm a really boring person, but I find a lot of stuff exciting. You are pretty boring. <laughs> <laughs> me too, though. I'm pretty Everything boring. excites me. I don't know. Right, it's, right. Yeah. <laughs> You're a boring person, but it doesn't take much to excite you. <laughs> Easily excitable. Oh, I think I saw that on some... Uh... An excitable, boring person. Excitably boring person. <laughs> Is that like a Myers-Briggs type? <laughs> That's it. Um... There was a, a really good response to sort of Andy Tan's article. It was also on SBS by Tom Palmer. Um, he said one of his one of his comments was, it's not, you know, a gendered phenomenon either. The same thing happens in a men's race, you know, like this idea. The, the exponential acceleration and cadence of action in the final throws is a feature of championship road races. It happens to the men's race, too. It's yeah. illogical to expect women to race in such a way that pleases the male-dominant establishment instead of riding the way the individual rider believes gives them or their team the best chance of winning a world championship. And that's really what it comes down to. All these women care about is winning. They don't care about doing what, you know, playing like prancing monkeys for the cameras. It's a race. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway. There's one not... object. Win the race. Right. So, I mean. I mean, how many Paris-Roubaix turn out to have six guys coming into the velodrome to sprint it out? You right. know, that would, you know, we'd say, oh, that's the ultimate excitement of a Paris-Roubaix. You've got this hugely long race. Attrition happens. People are, you know, caught out. But we want that final group of people. But when Cancellari goes on a break 40K out and yeah. and holds everybody off, is that boring? Yep. I mean, to some people, yeah, <laughs> it is. But <laughs> To me. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. <laughs> You're like, I'm not fighting with you anymore. You're messing up my point. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I know what you mean, though. I do but get, see, I think uh, that, yeah, that's, he's well, taking a my... huge chance. He, all his marbles are in there, you know. It's like Well, that's that's kind of my point, too. Is that women men's races can be boring too? That doesn't mean we should stop showing men's races on TV. You know, right. like even if they are, even if it is boring, that's okay. There have boring races happen, <laughs> and just because the one race we see of it's the women's called NASCAR, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <Sorry>. See, <laughs> this shows how much I don't understand. There you go. There you go. I just yeah. I mean, obviously. It's no surprise what our opinion is 
I just think, yeah. Boring races happen in every sport. So that doesn't, this idea that these women are expected to like perform like dancing monkeys. And if they do that, then okay, okay, then maybe we'll let you have, you know, more televised races. No, that's not how it works. So, yeah, do you want to push it to be all entertainment and no, you know, winning the race sport aspect? Right. Well, you know, it was also interesting because you kind of pointed this out too. Let's hear. Um, you know, kind of shifting to Lombardia, there was some sense, like this idea of the riders not taking chances, you know, because they weren't, I mean, Kwiatkowski clearly took a big chance in the, in, in worlds and it paid off, you know, mm-hmm. it just didn't happen. It just didn't really happen that way. But for the women's race, nobody really did take a chance. They were all kind of looking at each other, you know, kind of waiting, not really sure. Mariana Voss was also sort of just sort of like, I don't know, for whatever reason, I don't know why, you know, and the same kind of thing happened in Lombardia. So does that mean, you know, Lombardia should be canceled or, you know, we shouldn't televise <laughs> that anymore because nobody took any chances. That's not true. I guess boring. Dan Martin did. Yeah. Anyway, so let's move on to Lombardia now that we've kind of talked about okay. that. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you recap that one? Oh, I didn't. I don't, mm, okay. I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. No, you do it. I don't want to. Oh, I don't even. Nothing. Okay, we're both really terrible. I got nothing. <laughs> well, was it, okay, it was a big group coming to the finale. Everybody was together. Yes. As far as the favorites go. It was a final group. Right. All the favorites were kind of in this final group. How many people were in it, would you say? Like I'd say 10? 15. 10, yeah, 10 to 15. It wasn't that big. Right. Um, but it was the select group coming in the final kilometers. And they were marking each other yep kind of everybody's looking. looking yep and it's that track race thing you're watching you're watching you're watching who's gonna jump first and the finish is getting closer and closer and closer and yeah dan martin was sitting way in the back of that group and i don't know if he was the only one to notice it but i call it the magic downhill <laughs> with 500 meters to go or so and one final turn you know everybody they're not racing hard and the road's going downhill so he takes the opportunity to just come from the back and just go flying past everybody yeah (laughs) just boom i mean it's a long way out but he had a lot more speed than anybody else and i think they just realized oh we just missed that you know and then the nerves of watching dan martin go into a final turn (laughs) yeah, <laughs> really like scary. The last, the last two times he'd done that, he'd crashed out. <laughs> yeah, and so I think, yeah, I think the commentator even said even he was kind of taking it carefully. Yep. But yeah, that was exciting. To me, it seemed. I just wonder if like that final group, because it seemed like Valverde for like half a second was like, I'm a chase. Meh. I don't know. And I wonder if maybe they just. Un- but then all of a sudden, Valverde was like, Oh shit, I'm gonna sprint. You know. So I'm wondering if maybe they underestimated how much are they overestimated how much was left. No right. under. Right. Right. They thought they're like, oh, there's no way. We only had this a few little bit left. There's no way we can catch him. But there was that bend and then there's the finishing straight. 
So yeah. I think if Valverde, if Valverde or some other person had immediately, like the minute he popped away, tried to catch him, they probably would have caught him. But there seemed for some reason they were all just taken aback or maybe they thought they were closer to the finish line than they actually were, which seems a little weird. You know, it's not like Lombardia's chain, you know, not like it changes their finish every year. <laughs> yeah. But that's kind of how it seemed to me was that. And then all of a sudden they kind of moved around the corner and they were like, oh, shit, we could catch him. And then Valverde was like, all right, OK, you know, tried to do whatever, you know, and then too late. <laughs> yeah, it was just I think it was just a total shock that they blew it. All of them were just marking each other, looking across the road. They were pretty spread out. You know, so, I mean, they weren't going slow, but they weren't. Right. It was, you know, you know that sort of like cat and mouse. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That sort of like, you know, waiting to see what other people do type of situation. But it was interesting to me because, I mean, it, it was like they didn't expect anybody to try that. And I'm just like, well, obviously someone's going to try that if they're not convinced they're going to win in a sprint because that's basically what it was kind of coming down to if martin and i had think done well that. i think on a flat road it's more of an even match you know if somebody comes yeah. by it's like oh i can i can match that but i think he might have been the only one that paid attention to a downhill little section or he just happened to be like because if he had been at the front of the group trying to pick up that speed right they wouldn't have let him get away they would just pulled everybody with him right so I think he just happened to be at the right place at the right time. He was like, oh, he's, he was at the back of that group when they kind of got to that tiny little downhill, you know, bit. And he was like, I'm going to use this as a launching pad. Right. And he was kind of able to do it because nobody, he was in the back and nobody was really paying attention to him. So I think it was just very, very smart. And uh, an article mentioned, one of the articles I read about it was kind of like if he had made that move earlier like if he had tried to like okay i'm not gonna i there's no way i can win in a sprint so i'm just gonna go now if he had tried to do it earlier there's no way he would have you know made it right because the whole prediction was the move would be made on the final climb or it would come down to a sprint right exactly and so everybody projected that he would be the guy that would go on the final climb i mean i guess something happened and he wasn't able to i think he got boxed in right and honestly, like, I, I'm a little bit surprised. Oh, that's right. Valverde, it was really narrow, huh? And tons of people. Uh huh. <laughs> I was a little surprised that Valverde didn't try something similar because he's not a sprinter. True. Like Gilbert, maybe could have. You know, he's not bad at that. Um, who else was there? Garen? No, I don't remember. Now, because I, Lombardia and like the world are like meshing together, like, <laughs> right. blinding together in my mind. Um. So yeah, I can't remember, but I don't remember either. But but yeah, you would think Valverde's tactic would be the final climb. So maybe he just also was in a bad place where he's like, I can't attack now because you know there's no way that I'm going to get away. And I think also like, instead the last of attack- race of the year, these guys are so tired that yeah. I think that still factors in. I mean, yeah. Valverde's been racing hard <laughs> since through the tour through every race since the tour he's been there he's been trying so battling hard and battling and battling and yeah i do feel a little bad that he gets an a for effort <laughs> nothing ever came of it <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't even get like you know wait is he at the top who's at the world championship or who's like the uci oh the points leader 
I really don't know. Yeah, that's a, is it him or Rodriguez? Uh, someone Spanish. Uh, my guess would be him. Anyway, but yeah, it could be. You get a better year than Rodriguez. Anyway, I I do feel kind of bad for him that, <laughs> that win just was just a little bit. But he's not retiring, so that's good. No. <laughs> He's going to give it again next year. <laughs> He's not giving up. Yeah. No matter how much we wish. Yeah. Right. Right. No. Right. You know what? I'm starting to Let's appreciate keep Andy him. Let's because... get rid of Valverde. Right. I know. Right. <laughs> I'm starting to appreciate him, though. He's kind of becoming, a, seems a little bit sort of like, I don't know. Uh, the he is Croft. the Energizer Bunny. What? He is the Energizer Bunny of he... racing this year. <laughs> Well, doesn't he? I mean, isn't he a little bit like Vinokurov? Like, I don't know, just Ooh. kind of injecting excitement into the race and doing crazy shit and yeah, somewhat, general. somewhat. But as a team leader, it's usually a pretty focused team effort, you know, for him. Yeah, yeah, that's true. He, I, yeah, I think he's less of a right. That's true. Individual is... crazy attacker. That right. Yeah. Yeah, um, like what's a uh, Vinokurov is more like a lone assassin type, and right. <laughs> Vinokurov's a little bit more organized. He's got attack. the posse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's more mafia. <laughs> right, the whole family's behind him. Oh God, not surprising. Um. Anyway, so it was a very, I mean, just like the excitement on Dan's face when he realized that he had won was just. <laughs> Ah, it like, worked. It did. I just wanted to like, you know, I'm I want to hug upright. him and squeeze him. And, huh? I'm still upright. Yeah. He's like, what? That was the I mean, excitement. Could, yeah. Right. Nobody yeah, threw anything to at me. The piano didn't fall out of the sky. <laughs> I didn't hit an anvil. No. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You just got to have one good race, you know, a, a year, honestly. To Yeah. And with, and with, being so close so many times this year yep. i think that was just a great way to finish out the year and especially it felt, since it felt he, really good you know yeah especially since last year was pretty good and then this year was a little bit more like so close you know bridesmaid more than anything yeah. you know i think it was very satisfying on that front as well um to see him win yeah i gotta say both of those races really exciting finishes even if the rest of it was a little bit boring but you know, exciting finishes and both really deserving winners. Like, really happy with how both of those races mm-hmm. ended. Um, the only thing I want to say about Beijing, cause, <laughs> um, the only thing, two interesting things was basically that uh, Jobert won the overall. Okay. That and was surprising. Yeah. Yes. And Tyler Farah won a stage. So there you go. And it was a pretty damn impressive sprint. Yeah? Yeah. Watch it. (laughs) (laughs) He launched from the back of a group of about 12. Oh. And everybody had started their sprint, and he just kind of came flying by on the outside and got everybody. So, yeah, props to Tyler. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's just sort of like, must be just really excited for next year and a new team and I don't know clearly something lit a fire under his butt uh, he could have a lot of opportunities yeah yeah it's exciting I mean who knows if we'll actually like 
continue this trajectory, but into the next year. <laughs> However, I think like being he- around so many other sprinters is going to help him. Yeah. He'll get the support sometimes, or he'll get to support sometimes. But I think he hasn't had that. You know, he's been kind of a lone wolf sprinter. That's very true. I think you're absolutely right. I think not being like a lone wolf sprinter will be good for him. Because then he can try out different roles, you know, so it's not just Lita or just the main man. You know, Mm -hmm. he can try a bunch of different roles. So it'll be cool to see. Yeah, that whole team next year is exciting to watch to see what's going to happen with them. But this was the last Beijing race, right? Oh, really? That's what I heard. It did. You're right. And I did read something. They're like fourth and final. And I was like, what does that mean? But, oh, so they're not doing it again, huh? Was it a big thing of McQuaid's to get to Beijing? Yep. And that's just kind of faded away, so. And it was like, it was was one of those races sort of run by sort of the UCI, like some group it was a little shady when it happened highly encouraged by the uci i think yeah (laughs) yeah well that was that was one of the things that was kind of shady about it when it when it first um was announced was it was like the uci sort of like psych promotion arm was sort of doing it and everyone's like this seems like a conflict of interest (laughs) like oh how convenient it's a uci race you know like one of the higher ranks you know, mm-hmm. oh, and this happens just happens to be a race that <laughs> the UCI... We're spreading cycling around the world. That's part of our aim, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's fine, but maybe not have it so blatantly biased. <laughs> so, hmm. Uh, yeah. The, I do like okay. the idea of bringing it to other countries. I just that maybe this way was not the best way to do it. Right. Anyway. It was a little forced. You know, when the interest is there and the population is into it, that's one thing. But when it's, hey, we have to do this. Yep. It felt forced. You're From up above. Right. Yeah. But it seems, I mean, recently, like a lot, well, even like a lot of seasons sort of finish out in Asia now. Because like even in cyclocross, the ends of the season, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of the racers will go over to Japan hmm. and race there. So... There is, I don't know. There is something happening there, at least. Mm-hmm. So it's becoming the new close of the season. But then it just means it goes on and on and on because, like, where because it's such a long journey. Like, where do you put it in the calendar, except at the end? Right. Because you can't really put it in the middle, which is already jam packed full of races. And, and expect under is just around the corner. Oh my God! Right. Ay <laughs> ay. That's crazy. Endless summer, dude. I know. Just going and going. I don't really consider Tour Down Under to be the start. I think whatever the first um, classics race is, that's when I start paying attention again. Okay. Otherwise, I'm not that interested. Well, it's real boring. (laughs) All those races in the Middle East, boring. Um, All right. So now that we've talked about racing, let's... There's more news. There's more news. Speaking of Beijing, I feel like this kind of leads a little into that. There was a whole um, scandal with Astana and sort of sitting themselves out of Beijing. And 
what is more interesting to me rather than and maybe this is wrong but what's a little bit more interesting than the fact that there have been two positives on the team yeah, they're brothers so it just counts as one right <laughs> right right yeah definitely i first i really would like nibali to not be on that team anymore <laughs> <laughs> I would feel much more comfortable if he wasn't on that team anymore, but... That was awkward from the get-go, yeah. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. It seemed odd that, um, you know, would be coaching Nibali. Anyway, besides that, what was very interesting to me, it seemed that uh, Astana was manipulating, you know, the MPCC slash UCI again. Like, there is this again brought up this sort of like the clash of the MPCC with the UCI because the UCI the MPCC has slightly different rules a little bit more stringent and I mean technically the teams have to follow the UCI but you know they're also They've trying signed to signed on to the MPCC right right and they're trying to you know prove credible cycling and do more so basically <sighs> If you have two positives, you're supposed to sit the next race out. And there's a couple different things that happen, but um, who's who? What happened? Was it Maxime that was caught second? I don't remember. Yeah, I don't know. Who, yeah, whoever but it was. You've got you've got two riders right. that their A sample comes up positive. Right. So your choice when you have an A sample positive is to say okay i'm positive or you can reject it and say i want you to test the b sample it's basically like asking for an appeal in a court <laughs> well because yeah you've got a b sample there and you're you're going to force them to confirm it with the b or you're going to say yeah right you know give right. me my lumps um and the timing of that i think the way this plays in it's kind of like a a legal move or a Yep. A foul in the final minutes of a basketball game. You know, yeah. it's one of those. <laughs> it's kind of ticky tacky little thing that. I mean, if if we say we're guilty with a sample, we can take our lumps now and we'll get to ride tour down under. And if we contest it and keep riding now, we might miss tour down under. So that's kind of that, what happened with whoever yeah, was popped if, second. Let me, okay. I right. They had now. originally said, I want the B sample tested. And then I think the team said, well, if we just, you know, plead guilty now, we'll get I, the sentence handed down quicker and then we'll be back racing quicker rather yeah. than finish out some of these last races of the year while the B ba sample is getting done. Like basically what happened was, let's see, who was the first one? Oh, uh, shit. I miss Maxime. I can't remember. Okay. So Maxime was popped kind of right before, like, Lombardia and Worlds and all that. And so with him, he contested and said, you know, test might be a sample. So technically, he's not, you know, guilty of anything yet. You know, he's technically not And can sanctioned. still ride. Yeah. Right. He can still ride. So... By doing that, that meant they could continue, they could ride Lombardia and Worlds. Because, well, you know, that takes forever. That, that period of time takes forever. 
so they could still, you know, legally, even with UCI and the MPCC, sort of ride and be okay. But then when um, Valentin got popped, they decided not to contest it, which is going back to what you said, was that you have to take like an eight-day break and competition or something from that from the start of the next world tour race um so um that meant that they were able to sit out tour of beijing but then still technically be eligible as a team under mpcc rules to ride and tour down under which is probably considered a more important race than beijing yeah so there was a little bit of speculation. Did they sort of, because Valentin copped to it and he's like, yeah, yeah, you don't need to test it. I'm guilty. So that means their ban, you know, in quotes from the NBC starts right then, as opposed to whenever it is that B sample is tested and blah, blah, you know. Is that where the difference is between the MPCC and the UCI? Yeah. Okay. So basically, they voluntarily sat out the race, which is technically against the rules for the UCI, because the UC because it's a world tour race, they are required to race it because they're a world tour team. They have a world uh, tour license. Okay. And so because of that, they can they can be fined from the UCI, but even that has a little bit of like. A little bit of also a little bit of conspiracy going with it, too, because if they they look at it and decide to find them, that would go against because what they did or the decision they took earlier with um, AG2R, they had somebody popped or I guess one or two people and they took out a break. They sat out. Let's see. What race was it? Um, They sat out. I don't know what other some other race. Um, Oh, Dauphiné. So they voluntarily sat out the Dauphiné. And the UCI, technically, oh, okay. they should have been fine. But the UCI looked at it and they're like, no, no, we won't fine you. So yeah. if it could be construed a little bit of conspiracy, because if they decide to fine um, Astana for sitting out that race, but not AG2R, the fact that they're fining them for a race that's basically owned and managed by the UCI, <laughs> fining it, a team for that, yeah. it could be I mean, construed I, as a little suspicious. You make these rules and then you try and understand how they're going to play out. But then when they actually play out and people, you know, play their best advantage within the rules, I think what they need to do is look at this and say, okay, the next time this happens, this is how we're going to come down. We're going to treat every case from here on out this way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's not skirting the rule, but it's making the best out of I just what's think, happening, but I, I think it overshadows the bigger thing of hey, you've got two positives. Yeah, yeah. That's, come on. So there's a lot of stuff at play here. It's that they have two, technically three, because someone in their development squad got popped two for some steroid or something like that. Yeah. Um, there's that. Plus, they sort of it sounds like they sort of manipulated the rules a little bit so they could race the races they wanted to race and skip the ones they didn't want to race. Plus UCI, you know, uh, you know, are they going to enforce this rule or not? Whatever, like the fine. I. It's dirty. Uh, I mean, you feel dirty about it. It's yeah. kind of, uh, it's not pretty. You don't want to. Yeah. 
the fact that there's this yeah and the fact that they're brothers makes it a little easier to swallow because you're like oh okay they're brothers (laughs) (laughs) that'd be that's you know slightly better as it were than if it was just two random people yeah i don't know because then you can say oh it's a family thing they were colluding to dope it wasn't the team but if it's two separate people you know aren't related on the team that both get popped then it's like astana uh what's wrong with you then you could maybe look a little deeper. But apparently the UCI is looking at the World Tour license, so that's going to be in jeopardy now. The World mm-hmm. Tour license could be in jeopardy. So they could not get renewed. It, may be, it might not get renewed for next year, you know, if the UCI decides. Well, it's UCI <laughs> Licensing Commission, which is technically right. independent. But you And you've know. got the tour winner on your team, so that makes it a little uh-huh. tougher. Yep. I wonder if maybe we will decide to move. Mm. Don't know. Don't know. Who knows? Is the money out there? That's, you know. Anyway. That's the tough of, part right now. Yeah, right. But he's fuck. He's a fucking tour winner. He can move somewhere else if he wants to. Yeah, there's one guy with money. Yeah, Oleg will take him. <laughs> <laughs> he totally would, too. You know he would. <laughs> oh, God. Yes, I want everybody. I want all of them. Like you said, there. he's building a super team. Oh boy. Speaking of Oleg. Speaking of Oleg. His latest um, idea <laughs> was basically bribe the top four riders into riding all three Grand Tours. I don't know. But it's not even like, hey, we'll give one million to each of you. It's like, uh, you know, you'll split one million amongst the four of you. So for riding all three races, everyone would get, you know, $250,000. It's not a bribe. It's an encouragement. <laughs> it's a carrot. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. First of all, I don't think it's possible to ride all three tours at once in one year. And I think to encourage that is to encourage doping. Basically, how I feel about that. Okay, yeah. It would be tough to be competitive in all three. Yes, it would. For sure. Basically, a lot of what I've heard is that if that was to be possible, both the Giro and the Vuelta would have to be a lot easier. And I think that that is. Then we're going to call them boring. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they're not going to watch. Stay. And then it just sort of solidifies the tour as like, you know the biggest race and blah, blah. And I, I, which I don't, I mean, fine. It's a great race and I love it, but the Giro and the Volta are also just as exciting. Sometimes even more exciting. Now, part so, of the story, people were talking about the Giro tour devil, mm-hmm. right? Is that different than the offer to pay these guys to do all three? I might have missed that or mix the two together. I don't, oh, I don't remember. Cause I, yeah, I saw bits of both of those. Um, crap. Now I don't remember. But I think, I think in the long, that's okay. I think in the long run, Oleg's going to save cycling. We're going to look back 10 years from now and say, man, that guy was a genius. He, he was the showman that, you know, made stuff happen. The Barnum and Bailey of cycling. (laughs) Oh God. Oh God. Oh yeah. I mean, oh, you're right. I guess it was. A Giro Tour double. So, like, winning both of them or 
Yeah, one mention was paying him to ride all three, and then was one was the prize for winning the, the double. Yeah. But I'm not sure what was what. I guess I should have paid attention more. I know. <laughs> anyway i don't like the idea i think it's dumb i also I really got voted down anyways didn't it yeah it, well yeah i mean even tink yeah. even tinkoff is like well it probably won't happen this year but maybe he kind of admitted that it was just sort of like <laughs> throwing an idea out there to you know see if it would stick and who oh, changing up cycling blah blah trying to and why you not know, you know why not it's just, um, I don't know. I just, I don't like the idea of making the other two races easier, you know? Because even Eno was like, yeah, yeah, they should do it. But I'm like, yeah, you should make the other two easier. But I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like, you don't already have, you know, a stake in ASL where you want the tour to do best. <laughs> You're not unbiased. So, I think it's just, I don't, whatever. I think it's a dumb idea. And I don't it's like craziness. it. craziness. Craziness, I tell you. Crazy. And I don't... I don't just like the idea of having somebody there just, like, throw out ideas and crazy things and maybe one day some of them sticks and it changes cycling. That's great. But this particular idea, no. I think it just encourages doping. (laughs) So. And I think it's more interesting when you have a different mix of players at every race. You know, it gives different people a chance to win, different people a chance to sign. If it's the same four stars at every race, then that's not as exciting. And as we learned this year, anything can happen in any race. Right? You had all four stars at the tour, and then three of them <laughs> dropped out. <laughs> and then the bigger story was who wasn't there. You know, Quintana Exactly. There and, and then the Volta ended happened, up being right. what the tour wasn't. But not really, because, you know, not everyone was at the top form. <laughs> anyway, whatever. Um, but yeah, it just made me think of an old movie from my childhood. If you ever saw the movie Night Shift, Henry Winkler, did. Do you, did you ever see that? No, I didn't. No. Only I did the old people clip. in our listenership might <laughs> recall because it was a really minor movie. It was it was pretty dumb, but I think I worked at the movie theater when it was there, so I had to watch it. Uh. Um, Henry Winkler worked at a mortuary. On the night shift. So there was nothing going on. I think he was like married into the family that owned the business or something. Right. So he had to do this job and it was just boring as hell. And he just kind of sat through it and didn't do anything. It was really boring. And then along comes some cousin or somebody, but it was Michael Keaton was the character that was forced to help him out as a favor to somebody or something. Right. You know, give this guy a job. Well, he can help this guy with the night shift at the mortuary. But he was just a nut, and he would, you know, back in the day, he'd carry a tape recorder around with him. And I, I just got ideas coming at me all the time. I just got to take him down. I'm you an know. ideas man. I'm an idea man, Chuck. And then, I mean, the movie plays out. I think they turn the mortuary into a nightclub and have, <gasps> like, this big disco, and they they make all this money and everything, getting all kinds of trouble. But, yeah, that was one of his crazy ideas. Of how to make his nights more interesting. And Oleg's going to do that. And Oleg is the guy. He's the I guy. think my favorite one was, what was it? Like, yeah, we'll feed tuna fish mayonnaise <laughs> and we'll have instant tuna salad. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
like in that little clip you showed, it's like way way to use. What what was it? Way to have reduced paper waste. Make paper <laughs> edible. <laughs> so sorry, sorry for that sidetrack, but yeah. yeah, that's Oleg to me. No, you're not wrong. He's so you're right. Maybe one of them ideas, will stick, and one of them might stick. And 20 years from now, we'll say, "Wow, this really changed everything." Look at this guy. Okay, oh, last thing. Just quickly, a couple of transfers um, that I want to talk about. Okay, Roche is, uh, Nicholas Roche is moving to Sky, which seems weird. Sky has made some big changes this year. Yes, they have. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Seems, I guess now that Bosenhagen is gone, they need another guy who has a lot of potential who doesn't go anywhere. And everybody like yells and whines about it so i guess roche <laughs> is that guy <laughs> why are you wasting your time and telling it sky wow yeah well i think the big talk last year was how much focus they were going to give the classics that they hadn't in the past and they did and i don't and they did and i don't know if we'd look back at the season or they would look back at their season and say that backfired no it didn't it wasn't okay. like instant success but it definitely I think I, you know. Did it take away from their Grand Tour performance, though? Um, no. Because it seemed like prior to that, everything was focused on Grand Tour, Grand Tour, Grand Tour. That's because that's what Bradley Wiggins needed. And In my opinion, British Cycling and Sky was like laser focused on winning the tour. And it worked. And and it did. So that's (laughs) what they did. Like. Once but then they, they say we're going to diversify, and I think they realize maybe that's going to suffer in the Grand Tours. I don't know. Because, I mean, basically all it comes down to is that it's not like Chris Froome was riding the classics, because he's not. So you're only as good as your best rider. And this year, luck was not on Chris's side. So... I don't know if it w- would it have made a difference. Maybe if Sky hadn't done any, you know, it's the same thing. Like when Wiggins was riding the tour, if he had crashed out in the tour, what would have happened? You know, would right, Sky have right. won? Would they have somebody else? Right. No, because they had all their eggs in that basket. And that's, you know, that's still kind of their thing. The main difference. Chasing them up the hills. Yeah. <laughs> They oh, would God. have had Froome Oh, well, year. they're right. There, there was Froome. But they don't have a backup anymore for Froome. Like, because Wiggins is, you know, they've decided they, they don't want to. they tell Brad to stay home. Exactly. <laughs> so. I guess I guess my point was the, the transfers and changes they've made yeah. seem to be focusing more on the earlier races than the Grand Tours. And that kind of surprised me. I thought they would beef up Grand Tour potential, which Roche well, does, but not the other guys that I see moving there. Yeah, but I mean, their squad was so Grand Tour heavy. Even if they do spend a couple years just bringing on maybe more like classics or early season, you know, one-week riders, Mm -hmm. they're still going to have a pretty GT-heavy team because they were so... That's basically all they had for the year that Brad won. You know... So I think it may seem like they're loading heavy on that front, but I don't know. I'm not. I think Roach has huge potential for a few more years, and I think it'll be exciting to see what he does there. Yep. 
I agree with you. I'm a, I'm a, I've become a bigger and bigger fan every year of his. No. So. Uh, yeah, I, I'm definitely rooting for him. I am not entirely convinced that Sky is the place where he can do that, but I will be interested to see what he's able, like what they let him do. Yeah. While he's there. So could be great for him, but I think you're right. He's only got a couple more years before. Yeah. <laughs> So I hope I think this will be his last big move before he gets to potential washed out area era. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Um, the other well sad move is that Phil Gaiman is leaving Cannadale for Optum. So I think Phil was kind of a casualty in that Cannadale garment merger. Right. That's a good way to put it. Because I think he, he I mean, moved up to the big leagues and showed his potential. So, yeah, he moved up to the big leagues, showed potential right away. Um, I think was a great feature of the team. But when two teams merge and there's limited spaces, you know, that low man on the totem poles. Yep. No matter what you do. Yep. Kinda yeah. Like, yeah, that's a bummer. But, I mean, he's going to be at Optum. Right. So, we'll see him racing here in the U.S. more. But I think I think with his mentality, if he just continues to prove himself and prove himself and prove himself, I mean, he's shown what he can do. And I think it's not like the attention's going to go away completely. I think it'll be even more. Right. And I think it's a good move for Optum. You know, now they've got oh, yeah. somebody who's already proven, you know, he's got a little bit more, you know, uh, facial like recognition. And they're like, oh, you know, they'll go to the races, get a bit more, you know, like, oh, here's Phil. He did a great year because he had a great year. So but, Michael Friedman has been at Optum. Yeah. And he retired. Yeah. So maybe they told Phil, if you gain a bunch of weight and grow a nice big beard, you <laughs> can have Friedman's spot. Yeah. So oh, I think he that. would definitely do that. <laughs> Eat more cookies. Oh, God, right? No, he's off cookies. He doesn't do those anymore. <laughs> now that he's in the big bin. I was just very... I was pretty upset when I heard the news. It's I just, a bummer. Yeah. Yes. I really... I mean, I don't think that JB is a bad person, but it's really disheartening to see him lose a spot, you know? Like, it's I knew there was going to be casualties, I mean, yeah. but... How are, yeah, how are you going to live through that? Sorry? It's such a tough spot to be in. Yeah. I mean, I don't... I think some people always assume the worst of JV and whatnot, but I don't. I think he's no. generally a good guy and wants the best, and I think he didn't mean Phil any harm, you know, or any ill will, but that's just kind of the way the cookie crumbles. Ha, ha, ha. And <laughs> and in the article, <laughs> that was unintentional, but really hilarious. That was. Great. That was. <laughs> um, <laughs> Phil wrote an article for Velo News, um, and he's like, you know, he kind of put some of the blame on himself. He said, he's like, well, I did what I've seen a hundred guys screw up, where you assume your job is safe, you don't look around or talk to other teams, you're caught up in a crazy whirlwind of bike races, and then something happens, and suddenly it's too late. 
you know. So busy doing your job. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. (laughs) So, I mean, you got to do your job and you also got to network. You know, you got to keep your nose, you know, you got to keep your ear to the ground. And I think, you know, he's like, oh, I made it to the big leagues. I reached my goal and didn't even think about the fact that he might not have, you know, if that what happens. Like he didn't have enough time to make connections at any of the other teams or build relationships with enough people to be like, oh, I'm leaving. You know, do you have a spot for me somewhere else? I think that's a hugely humble way for him to take this. Yeah, I because I when when he was signed, I remember JV saying, "This guy has huge. Uh, it's a benefit to whatever team he's on because he is out there in social media in all the channels. Oh my god, promoting yeah. all the sponsors and all the things that go on with the team. Yeah. He's like a huge voice, so." Why would you not want somebody like that on your team? Because the team's going to benefit from all this other stuff that he puts in. And I don't think he stopped doing that. He was, no. you know, so. I mean, he's got, yeah, I mean, he's got. I think for a, him to say, well, I just didn't do enough. I think he was doing way beyond. I think he uh, maybe think meant just, more in the sense of like maybe networking and building, you know, meaningful relationships with, with other teams or I don't know. and Right. In that much sense. opportunity in your first year. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But you're <laughs> right. Like you got to, I don't know. Like you said, he was busy doing his job. Right. And so if you're busy, you know, just figuring out how to be in the European Peloton and be on this big team and you're trying to figure that shit out, like, you know, you only have time for so much. So I, I think it's a, I don't, it's not a mistake on his part, but. No. Because no. he did everything that he was supposed to. It just. I don't know. Yeah. Not, I don't know. I just, for some reason, the Garmin Canada merger just does not sit well with me. I'm not a huge (laughs) fan of it, but you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know what else. I don't know. I can't, I can't quite put my finger on it yet. Why I don't really like it, but maybe it's just because guys like Phil get the boot because of it. Well, that hurts, but, but I can't even wrap my head around the whole thing. I mean, it's going to take either. two or three so races weird. for me to understand what, what's going on What anymore. does that even mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's, the whole thing is ridiculous. That they're, it's that going to be two... next April or May before I understand who's I know. on the team. Because they just seem like such different teams, you know? <laughs> like super Italian and super American. Yeah, like yeah. now this major, I don't know. Melding of the two. Imagine being on Cannondale, you know, having to go to Garmin. Like, that's going to be a, a shock, too. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I would have loved to be a fly on the wall for those conversations. Like, why did JV agree to it? You know, oh, more money, probably. There's probably just bigger influx of money. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like that didn't get talked about enough. Or maybe it did, and I just wasn't paying attention. It, it was, was a whole merger. Yeah, it was pretty quick. It was just, hey, it happened. Yeah. It did. It just kind of happened. And then everybody got kind of caught up in the fact that Sagan was going to Saxo. Right. That they, you know, we just didn't really talk much about the fact that Garmin and Canada were merging. Anyway. All right. Um, I'm starting to get kind of a sore throat from all this talking. <laughs> <laughs> so, my gosh, I think we basically covered everything on our list, which is. Covered everything little- I want to cover. Yeah, it was a little long, a little longer than normal, but I think that's okay because we took like three weeks off. We had so much to cover. 
<laughs> totally acceptable. You missed us, right? All our I listeners know, that are right? still they hanging in there. They're to the very end. Hang on, hang on to our every word. We thank you. We <laughs> yes, thank you we do. immensely. <gasps> I know. We do. All right. So if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, I am at Blooming Cyclist. And I'm C Fiddy, C underscore F I D D Y. And the podcast is at Pelotonitis on Twitter. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's it. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we will be, I think we'll be back again next weekend. We'll see. Who knows? We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a surprise. <laughs> if there's news. Yeah, that's right. There's always news. All right. Thank you for listening. And goodbye.